welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over a decade of experience. And this is Trisha, and Billy Milligan's childhood was nefandrous. Nefandrous? Nefandus. Oh. Too awful to talk about. I mean, that really is true. In most circles. We'll talk about it here. Right. But... We're not most circles. We're not most circles. It was an awful, awful, awful childhood. It was. Thanks to multiple adults in his life, because I think it was more than just Chalmer. I think you're probably right. But anyways... We're going to talk about his adulthood. Yeah. Today. But before we do that... It is Courtney's question. It is my question. So, Trisha, are there any, like, famous movie actors or actresses that everybody seems to love, but you just, like, cannot stand? Um, there's a couple musicians. Mm. Actors and actresses. Um... I'm not a huge Angelina Jolie fan. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Um, and I don't know if it's like because of the whole Brad Pitt thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like a pro Jennifer Aniston. I don't know if that's what it is. I do. I mean, she's made a lot of good films, but um, yeah, maybe that's it. Hmm. Okay. I'm not sure on actor. Um, I mean, just picking one is fine. Okay. About you. I really don't understand why people think Will Ferrell is funny. Chris is in the same boat as you. I just can't do it. Like, everyone is obsessed with, like, Elf and Anchorman and, like, all those movies, and I just can't. Um, Anchorman's not my favorite, but I love Step Brothers. That is one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. and... Um, I do like Elf. I think that's a great Christmas movie. And uh, one of our friends, Mang Amanda, mm-hmm. Will Ferrell's like her main jam man. Ooh. Yeah, she <laughs> she loves him herself some Will. Mm-hmm. The only role I've ever seen him in that I liked was the only film he was in that was not a, what I think of as like a Will Ferrell movie. Was that? And that was in Running With Scissors. I didn't see that one. It's great. You should watch it. The daddy's homes are so funny to me. I don't know. I I like Will Ferrell. <laughs> yeah, I mean most people do. So I know I, yeah. I'm weird for not. But no, um, I you know he's mostly a comedic actor who's like super silly, right? And I don't really see that being your type of movie that you rush to the theater to see. So That's it's true. not that surprising to me, you know. Right. Yeah. And I mean, there are like other comedians and types of comedy and stuff that mm-hmm. I like, but yeah, the super silly over the top right. stuff is not really my jam. Yeah. So, and that's kind of what he does, but okay. Gotcha. Yeah. We're, uh, we're coming in on different angles on that one. How do you feel about Angelina? Kind of indifferent. Yeah. You know, I think she's had some really amazing roles and mm-hmm. I think there's times where she was just sort of meh. I mean, I, I love the, you know, like, um, what was her, like, Gia was really good with her in it. Foxfire, that's really old school. And, of mm-hmm. course, Girl Interrupted when she yeah. played a sociopath. Love that movie. Love so, her in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. maybe it's just more of a personal thing, mm-hmm. which is silly because their lives don't affect me. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, what the heck? But then again, 
That's just how we are. That's the entertainment biz, you know? Exactly. We think that we know these actors and actresses just because we know what is being portrayed, but really we don't have any idea. We don't. Or at least I don't. So, okay. Well, good question. Um, Yeah, so this is part four. Our final part for Billy Milligan. I'm sure you guys are getting ready to, to be done with him as much as we are. Um, so, Courtney, why don't you just uh, give us a little overview? All right. So, so far in parts one through three, we've learned about his horribly abusive childhood, um, mostly at the hands of his stepdad, um, but also various other forms of abuse. Um, we learned about all <clears throat> 23 of his altars. Um, those are the, the different personalities in his mind, in case you have missed the rest of Billy Milligan. <laughs> Don't start here. <laughs> the rest of it, yeah. It's yeah. Kind of a confusing place to start. And kind of last time we learned more about kind of what happened once the altar sort of took control of Billy's life um, and his very chaotic teenage years full of petty crime and confusion and relationships that were confusing Mm -hmm. and you know all of these things for him lots of mix-up times as he put it where they were jumping from altar to altar to altar and no one really knew what was going on right they just kind of thought he was a liar exactly Mm -hmm. Um, and then this all culminated um, in kind of a time where because they didn't you know, Billy wasn't able to hold on a job and things like that. They were low on money. And so, you know, one of the altars decided to use some, you know, just good old robbery mm-hmm. to get some things going. Um, and that resulted in the robbery, kidnap, and rape of three girls or three women, I should say, at Ohio State University. Mm-hmm. So now we're in October of 1977, and as we've seen, Billy's altars don't work well enough together to be considered a criminal mastermind. So even though some of them might potentially on their own, if they were the only identity that ever took over, might, but that's not what happens. So it did not take long at all for the cops to to track Billy down after his third kidnapping and rape. In fact, Billy or Danny rather, woke up and was very confused. He saw Reagan's gun out when it shouldn't be out. Um, This was at at their house or their apartment. And uh, Danny remembered Arthur instructing him that if he was ever in this situation to, quote, call the Bobbies. So that's what Danny did. He called the cops and told them something weird was going on. Well, at about the same time, one of the women he accosted was able to point him out from his mugshot, and his uh, fingerprints were a match to the ones on her car. So I think they were already kind of ready to arrest Billy, because as soon as Danny called them, they came over pretending to deliver pizza, but once inside, they took their guns out and arrested Danny, and he was very confused. One of the arresting officers said this regarding the car ride to the station. I couldn't tell you what was going on, but it was like I was talking to different people at different times. Courtney? I imagine that the officer really was talking to different people at different times. In a major crisis situation like being arrested, uh, Billy's alters likely were cycling and changing rapidly, um, which is common when a person with DID is under a, a lot of stress. In a weird way, DID a little bit reminds me of 
uh, Tourette's and um, narcolepsy, like mm. the stress trigger is kind of what triggers the narcolepsy or like the Tourette's response. And with this, a stress trigger triggers the alters to change. Yeah. Very in a very similar way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Billy also violated his parole because he had used guns in these crimes and those guns were found at his home. He was charged for three kidnapping counts, three aggravated robbery counts and four counts of rape. I'm not sure why the four counts of rape, perhaps he accosted the women more than once. Based on what they observed while interviewing him, Billy's lawyers advocated to have Billy sent to a psychiatric facility instead of jail, where he could be assessed before trial. This was granted, and Billy was sent to Harding Hospital. It was during this time that his psychiatrist started to learn about his different alters. The stress of the arrest and confinement sent Billy into a mix-up time. So the alters were changing frequently, and the psychiatrists working with him were able to do a, to establish a working relationship with each one over the course of seven months. Through the interviews and therapy sessions, Reagan admitted that he was responsible for the thefts and kidnappings, but it was Adelena that was um, responsible for the rapes. So yes, it was Adelena, the lonely homemaker, was the alter that took over the rape or took over when the rapes occurred. She admitted that she just, quote, wanted to feel close to somebody. I suppose it makes sense in hindsight since it was, you know, Adelina that would come out when Billy's body had sex with Marlene. Courtney, are you surprised by any of this? Do you think Billy's alters made themselves known at this time to authorities because of the crazy mix-up time? Do you think what he that he's faking anything because he knows he really did screw it up this time? I'm not really surprised by this, Um, and if I'm operating under the assumption that Billy's DID and alters are real, um, and that stress of being arrested and held in the hospital caused the mix-up time where they were changing frequently. So in a controlled environment and with constant supervision at the hospital, the staff there were able to clearly see and track the changes as they occurred, and then you know, this would make it virtually impossible to keep the different alters a secret, which previously they had sort of tried to do, but not very well. Um, and then also, you know, the doctors and attorney, attorneys were able to explain to Arthur mainly um, why coming forward with the system and working with a psychiatrist was the best way in the end to keep Billy safe and to possibly avoid prison. So the question was, did Billy, core Billy, know what he was doing when the crimes happened and could Billy refrain from bad behavior in the future? Many experts were brought in, including Dr. Wilbur, who successfully treated a multiple by fusing the personalities back together. She wrote the book Sybil. That became a movie with Sally Field, and that was the one that Kenny Bianchi studied to fake his DID. Fusion was the ultimate goal to help Billy. Uh, Courtney, can you tell us a little bit about the fusion process? Right. So since DID is all about having a fractured psyche, the goal of treatment is to essentially put the pieces back together and hold them there. Um, So this is done through a long process called fusion. It starts with building trust with each of the alters and then helping them share information that they have been holding with each other. For example, you know, Danny would be able to share the painful memories that he held with the other alters instead of keeping them a secret so that everybody knows everything that's happening or happened. And of course, this can be very scary and 
painful and confusing um, throughout that process, which is why it's done in therapy. Um, And then, you know, once that information had been shared and accepted, the alters are encouraged to then share consciousness. So basically be on the spot at the same time or, um, you know, have the alters that aren't specifically on the spot kind of like hanging around nearby and participating in and observing what is going on um, with kind of the main host um, or whoever is in charge of the body at that time. And then eventually this shared consciousness leads to kind of the different parts becoming integrated into one full personality that, you know, maybe has some of each of the alters' traits, beliefs, and talents, Um, but it's all as sort of like one fully fleshed, fully rounded out person. So it sounds like it would be a lot of work to do this. Yes, it's not something that happens overnight. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something that can be done without consent. Um, Well, and some of the alters didn't want to fuse. For instance, Tommy didn't want to fuse with Alan because Alan liked baseball and Tommy couldn't stand it. I mean, it's weird stuff like that, right? Uh, Eventually, it looks as though the alters did come to some sort of agreement but I, I'm going to admit, watching the limited vi- limited video that was shown on the documentary made it look kind of like BS to me. Dr. Wilbur would dramatically say, you and David fuse. I don't know. Eventually, the psychiatrist claimed he was competent to stand trial because he was fully fused or fused enough. Courtney, I mean, it wasn't that long of a period of time. Do you think they were fused? I mean, I know this is all speculation, and I'm a little bit um, skeptical about it. Now, Dr. Wilbur was certainly flamboyant and dramatic, um, and I also have doubts about the effectiveness of just yelling fuse Mm -hmm. um, as a therapy technique. However, I do believe that fusion is possible, um, and is seven months long enough for a person with so many alters to be fully fused? I don't know. You know, every person is different, and every case is different, so maybe yes, maybe no. Um, But it does seem as though, like, Billy had made progress over those seven months and was more stable than he was when he first got there. Um, So he could have been in the process of fusing or, like you said, partially fused. Mm -hmm. Although, as we'll see very soon, that fusion was very fragile still at this point. Right. And if you guys haven't watched this documentary and you are interested in this case, you really should watch it. There is a whole lot of video interview with Billy and his alters and um, other recordings that we can't really convey with Courtney and I explaining it. You kind of need to see it and hear it for yourself to form your own opinion. Billy's trial was set to start in December. At this time, only 10 of his personalities were known. Although he was now deemed competent to stand trial, he could still be found not guilty by reason of insanity. While he must have made a compelling witness and, a witness, and all the psychiatrist reports must have been compelling as well because he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. This definitely split a lot of people as the victims still existed. The victims were still raped and robbed and their lives irrevocably changed forever. 
He did not get off scot-free, however. He was still sent to a mental hospital for an indefinite amount of time. Per Billy, after the sentence, sentencing, quote, The worst thing to hear from anybody is the truth about yourself, and I don't want to escape anymore. I want to stay right where I'm at. It might not be a very nice world out there, but it's the best I got, and I want to keep it. Courtney, what do you think about the outcome of the trial? Well, so one thing um, I think I remember correctly is I believe that they opted for a bench trial, not a jury trial. So right. it, it was just it the was judge. just the judge that mm-hmm. decided um, that this was a plausible defense. Yeah. Um, so that is something um, which possibly also could have led to the controversial reaction at the time and still people reacting to it in, as like a really controversial decision. You know, it was the first time that anybody was found not guilty by reason of insanity because of having multiple personalities. And it has very, very rarely happened since then. Um, I did just some very cursory research and sort of saw that between Billy's case and like the year 2000, there were sort of eight attempts to use this as a defense and only one of them was successful. So that tells you how rare this is. Um, But, you know, I can really see and empathize with both sides in this case. I have empathy for Billy and the horrible things that he endured that led to his DID and can appreciate his apology and feelings of guilt about what the other parts of him had done. And I have empathy for the victims who also experienced horrible things and deserve justice. Ultimately, though, based on where Billy was in his treatment at that time, I think that hospitalization was the best possible outcome. Right. I mean, if he had gone to jail, sometimes in America, we, or okay, I'm not going to speak for we, I, our prison system is, if you do something terribly heinous and horrible, you go away for life right and it's not like that in the rest of the world so Mm -hmm. i being an american and 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 knowing that multiple states have death penalties and multiple states don't but you could still have life sentences on top of each other on top of each other on top of each other and i can't remember exactly the number but if he had been found guilty not just found guilty regularly in this case, he would have gotten 90 years or something like that. Right. Right. That would have been the maximum sentence. So, and so I think coming from my American mindset with prison, yes, he wouldn't have, you know, gotten better in prison, but unfortunately for crimes like this, I don't ever expect the people to come out of it. I think that they're going to be there forever. Um, so to me, I'm it 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 still doesn't seem fair that what what ended up happening to him happened to him. I don't feel like justice was served, but that's again just me, and maybe I need to change my mindset because obviously the American prison system doesn't work well. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so. And I think you know a lot of people like you, especially in the U.S., um, think that people with mental illness that have committed violent crimes, uh, even if they're in a hospital, they should be locked up in a very sparse, uncomfortable environment. That's, you know, basically just jail with a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, And I understand why people feel this way, but there's also significant research that shows that mental illness cannot get better in that kind of environment. So 
if we say the goal of the justice system is rehabilitation, you know, then a softer environment is what's recommended for these patients. Right. And see, that's that's where I think the message gets lost is that jail is supposed to be rehabilitating. It's just not what we typically see with violent offenders right. in this country. I mean, you even see the ones that like they serve their full sentence, like 25 years, and then they get out and people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe they're out, you know, mm-hmm. because it's just it's just not how it is here. But yeah, in, in other like there's a lot of black and white mm-hmm. when it comes to yeah. And this is, of course, very generalizing, you know, the American views of justice. Mm -hmm. Right. And I mean, you think about penitentiaries, right? That's a place where you're supposed to be able to go to do penance and also be rehabilitated so you can be let out. But penitentiaries are like synonymous with a maximum prison facility in my mind. Mm -hmm. Like they're the same thing. I don't. I, okay, well, I'm getting off topic. <laughs> yes. So, but anyways, I do think that a, a lot of the um, controversy that arose from this was because of the way Americans view, most Americans view the prison system in the U.S. Yes. In a different country, it might not have been such a big deal right. that this happened. But Billy was sent to Athens Mental Hospital in Athens, Ohio for his crime. So this was a minimum security institution. He had lots of freedom to roam around and pursue his art therapy. Uh, Based on the documentary, it looks like a big, giant mansion. It doesn't look like a prison. He was sent there to get himself the best treatment he could at this time. The goal was to integrate Billy into society. Billy got the reputation there of kind of being a diva. He wasn't easy to deal with if he didn't get his way, and he seemed to care nothing about anything that wasn't concerning to him. Dr. David Call worked with Billy a lot, but what he would do was put him under hypnosis and then to try and then try to bring out other alter personalities. So I'm confused because if Billy was fused, then why were they still like why were the alters still taking over? What do you think the point of this was, Courtney? Just Dr. Call experimenting? Um, yeah. So um, when it comes to Dr. Call's work with Billy, hypnosis was a really common method that was used at that time um, for lots of different treatments, not just for this. Um, and, you know, as with any therapy, progress is not linear. So even if the main alters had been tentatively fused, it is possible that Billy still had others that the main ones weren't aware of or who had remained hidden um, prior to this. You know, and fusion is also not always permanent either. These parts are fused together, yes, but that doesn't mean that they can never break apart again. Um, And with ongoing stress, with new trauma, or with other, you know, major emotional events, this can lead to the refracturing of a system um, if it does not feel safe. I mean, if we do go back to Dr. Wilbur and those psychiatrists, they were just trying to kind of hold him together enough for trial. Exactly. So, you know, who knows, had he continued under their care for longer periods of time, it might have been a more permanent fuse than just a Band-Aid. Right, that it exactly. it seems to have been. Mm-hmm. Well, next up for Billy was an up-and-coming author wanting to write a book on Billy's life. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking some of his 
personalities were a little narcissistic, uh, but I'm sure Billy loved that. So half of the proceeds from the book was supposed to go to Billy, or sorry, go to the author, Daniel Keyes, and the other half would go to Billy. So this is the book that we have been using is the one by Daniel Keyes. During this time, Billy was working with Dr. Call and Keyes, and that's when the undesirable alters came out. These alters were not discovered at the previous hospital where he was for the seven or eight months. So some people speculate speculate that these alters were made up or they were implanted in his subconscious through hypnosis to please his psychiatrist or just to make a better story. Six weeks into the writing of the book, Billy, or rather, you know, the 23 parts of Billy, fused into the teacher. And Courtney had talked about the teacher in one of our previous episodes. So this personality... Um, oh, in part two, it was like the collection of consciousness that knows everything, that remembers everything. There was a lot of speculation about this quote teacher. I don't want to go into it, but if you're curious, check out the documentary. Many thought that Billy was being exploited or he was exploiting his illness to make it seem even more extraordinary than it already was. And of course, there was money involved. A book was being written. A movie might follow. The author was being interviewed on TV. Dr. Call was supposedly receiving compensation for being a consultant. It just made so much noise that the politicians got involved and tried to pass what was known as the Milligan Law. So any money that Billy made while in custody, you know, book sales, movie rights, paintings he sold, would go to the state if he if this law stood. Um, I would rather it go to the victims, but criminals, you know, I don't think should make money off their crimes. Unfortunately, I couldn't find that that law actually went through um, because he did get compensated, at least somewhat. Right. Um, So I looked it up and there's there is no federal law on this topic, um, but 30 states have since then passed laws that prevent convicted criminals from benefiting monetarily by selling their life stories. Um, And some states stipulate that this money goes to victims, but not all of them. Yeah, I mean, I feel like all of the money should go to the victims. (laughs) All right, come on. Well, Billy was granted off-campus furloughs from this institution. He was deemed safe to be in society at this point. And like I said, he did get some money from selling his paintings, sometimes for thousands of dollars. He even had an art show at a bank. He was making decent money. He made enough that he bought himself a car and he kept it on the grounds of the hospital, but he could use it on his furlough days. His freedoms, his money, and his notoriety were really pissing off some politicians that wanted him transferred to a higher security institution uh, or get approval from the court for all of the leaves and privileges to be suspended. Billy wasn't an angel in the hospital and at did time or at times did join in with other patients and drinking or doing drugs or engaging in sexual behaviors. Billy was then um, moved to Lima, Lima Correctional Facility in the middle of the night. So finally, someone was able to get that done. And they did speak of, you know, some of the patients that he was having sexual encounters with might not have been able to totally consent. They were mental patients. So they were saying he was getting very close to doing kind of the crimes that got him in there in the first place. Sure. So, Although he was also <clears throat> committed in a mental t- institution and was a mental exactly. patient himself. There, there's, that, so. there's that fine line there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> right, who's really at fault here? Maybe, yeah, I get that. So he was put into a maximum security uni- unit. 
And this facility was much more dangerous with much more dangerous people. And his medications were changed by the doctor at this new facility. This new doctor did not believe in DID. So he decided to treat him for schizophrenia, which was making him fracture even more. So Billy was fuckered at this point. Courtney, what do you think about all this? So, you know, there are a lot of things that were allowed in like the 70s and 80s in psychiatric hospitals that would not be allowed today or that would be much more closely monitored because of improvements in technology and, you know, oversight committees, that kind of thing. Um, Does that mean that Billy really was too dangerous and unstable for some of the freedoms he earned? I don't know. Not necessarily. Um, But you know, obviously things would be done differently now than they were back then. Mm -hmm. Um, And now the Lima facility um, is what most people think of when they think of a mental institution for criminals, right? It was essentially a prison with with a psychiatrist. Um, And the attitude of the psychiatrist and the staff there almost seemed like they wanted to punish and make an example out of Billy rather than actually provide the treatment and rehabilitation that he needed. Um, and if they wanted to show the world that he was unstable and dangerous, um, taking him off of the meds that were working and removing him from a safe environment that had led to progress um, with fusion and, you know, allowing the more angry and aggressive alters of his to be in control. I mean, they accomplished that. Yeah, who knows? I mean, the doctor there might have had some weird agenda going on I mean he he did say he didn't believe in DID as a diagnosis I don't know if that's true or not but this whole same thing was so sneakily done who knows what favors were given to who what you know what I mean like who knows what happened but well, the state closed down Lema, uh, the facility at some point, and so then Billy started moving around all over the place. He just kept getting transferred, right? He was diagnosed with histrionic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, narcissistic personality disorder, all sorts of things, depending on where he was being housed and who was treating him. He ended up back at Athens, where he started like in the beginning, and he went back to his former treatments. He was still promiscuous with the patients, but also he allegedly had an affair with a staff member as well. Billy met an inmate sister at some point during his stay, and eventually the two were married. (laughs) So they must have dated somehow, like whatever. Her name was Tanda. That marriage only lasted 51 days before she took some of the money that he got from his book and left. Um, So yes, Billy did make money off that book. He had a contract that existed before the legislation was in the mix, so I don't know how much he got. I was going to look and see, but I don't know how much he got out of that book. Billy, uh, so Billy rented a farm while he was at Athens. So he's still technically a, a patient at the psychiatric hospital, but he has a farm as well that he goes to when he's on furlough, and he was on furlough quite a bit. He had a lot of privileges. He also started a foundation for battered children and started dating someone new. And he got a small role in a mini soap opera as well. They did show this little blip on the documentary. Mm -hmm. Billy's farm that he rented was adjacent to the town sheriff. And Sheriff Allen hated Billy. Hated him. He even shot at Billy's dog, you know. Uh, But apparently the dog was chasing his horses or something. That's what he said. 
And Sheriff Allen allegedly said he was going to hire Hitman to take care of Billy. This is all in a documentary. I'm not just making it up. But so. <laughs> and I said allegedly. They just shouldn't have been neighbors. That was not a good thing for either one of them. Well, one day, Billy was in a car with a hospital employee and shot a gun through the trailer of the hospital employee's supervisor. I don't know how he had a gun, why he had the gun, why the hospital employee was allowing this to happen. I don't know. Maybe the employee didn't like their boss and they got Billy to do this for them. Whatever the reason, they all got arrested. Billy was put on heavy restrictions. Billy denied any involvement with the crime and said he was not even present. Unfortunately for Billy during this time, the sheriff had secretly recorded a conversation that he had with Billy and Billy threatened to kill the sheriff and his family on the, it was on tape, but charges couldn't be brought because it was illegal the way the sheriff recorded the threat. Billy was transferred again after this on July 4th, 1986. Okay. So Billy was transferred to a facility that had that same psychiatrist that didn't seem to like him from the Lima facility. The one that didn't believe in DID was made medicating him with Thorazine, which wasn't helpful. And Billy thought that this uh, psychiatrist wanted to do electric electroshock therapy. And Billy was terrified of this. So Billy escaped. He left the facility, kind of walked out the front doors he was a real-life escaped mental patient. Courtney? So there's a lot that happened here that's not easily explained, um, but there are a few things I do want to comment on. First, Billy is just a human with needs and impulses just like everyone else. His fusion did not suddenly make him a perfect person who always made the best choices, and so he made some very bad choices sometimes. The gun thing was a bad choice, and threatening the sheriff was a bad choice. I mean, but honestly, I can understand why Billy may have reacted that way. You know, um, the sheriff had essentially threatened to have Billy assassinated and shot at his dog. So, not that it's an excuse, but I get it. Mm -hmm. You know, and at the core of his person, Billy was still a very traumatized person. And the fear that he experienced was very real and very strong. And I can understand that impulse to try and get away from a person that had actively harmed him in the past. You know, not that I condone his escape. That wasn't the way to solve the problem. Um, but I get it. And just a little note, you know, escaped mental patients are far more common than people realize. I can think of at least three in our area in the past year. Um, but most of them are not dangerous to the public at all. Is it because they're in places where it's just easy to walk out the front door? Um, sometimes it's that, but sometimes it is. Like, yeah, they're on furlough or they're mm -hmm. out on an outing with staff and they wander away. Yeah. While he was out, he met up with a friend who helped him get away. They rented a car and headed to Colorado. This friend left Billy in Aspen and went back home. Crossing the state lines caused his disappearance to become an FBI case. Billy was in contact with his family, you know, let them know he was doing okay. He was making $1,000 a day selling his paintings on the sidewalk. That's what he claims. Billy met his brother in Seattle. Billy had a new ID and social security number, a new identity even, Christopher Carr. He got a place in Billingham, Washington, but he would eventually mosey up to Canada where his brother lived for a while. 
Months later, Billy was really fragmenting, and one of his neighbors in his apartment building went missing. His name was Michael Madden. It has not been proven to this day, but many suspect that Billy killed this man while he lived in Billingham to basically steal his social security checks. Well, they weren't social security checks. They were checks that he got from, he was ex-military, so it was that. Like disability, maybe? Something military Something military. Yeah, it was was Mm -hmm. something from the government, but yeah. Jimbo, Billy's brother, was getting desperate. He could see Billy was needing much more help than he could get him, so he found him a psychiatrist in California that agreed to meet with him. So they went to California, but that didn't end up panning out because um, the psychiatrist ended up working in a prison, and mm-hmm. <laughs> Jimbo didn't know that. He just like found him uh, in the phone book or however a recommendation, but when Billy went there, he's like, he's in a prison. I'm not going into a prison. So anyways, he decided to go to Florida. This was kind of when Jim finally decided to let the authorities know where Billy was, and they found him in Florida at a convention at the hotel he was staying with, and they arrested him and took him back to Ohio. Courtney, what do you think about the whole Michael situation? Knowing what we do about how stressed Billy was at this time and how stress t- uh, tends to trigger his alters, there were also personal items of Mike's inside of uh, Christopher Carr slash Billy's apartment. Also, Chris Carr mysteriously had a joint account with Mike Madden, who was getting government checks, like I said, from the military. It, to me, looks kind of damning for Billy. Maybe it was Kevin coming out and taking the spot. I don't know. It is hard to say for sure, but, I mean, the circumstantial evidence certainly does does point to Billy in a lot of ways. You know, he was off of his medication. He'd come pretty much completely unfused and was living a chaotic and potentially dangerous life on the run. Uh, So it is possible that one of the more undesirable alters came forward during this time um, when, you know, Billy was feeling desperate and maybe he did murder Michael. And it's also possible that someone else killed him um, and that Billy had joint that joint account with Michael's permission and cooperation and that his possession of things like Michael's glasses was coincidental. Maybe they really were friends and, mm-hmm. you know, we just don't know. Well, they never had a body and so they didn't have enough evidence of a crime being committed so they couldn't charge him with the murder of Mike Madden. There is a rumor that he told his niece much later on that he did kill at least one man. Back in Columbus, he was incarcerated at the Timothy Moritz Forensic Center. He was back under Dr. Lem- Dr. Linder. That was his nemesis shrink that wants to treat him for schizophrenia. I guess Billy just gave up. He went on a hunger strike. He did it for 34 days before he ended it. So a new doctor was brought in, and she worked to get him released to be an outpatient. And whatever she did with him, it worked. Billy was released in 1988. Ten years in, this, in several psychiatric institutions were now behind him. Once fully released in 1991 from the whole mental health system, meaning I'm assuming he didn't have to do outpatient anymore, he traveled around and lived in California for a while before moving to his sister's property. He was known to enjoy the time he spent hobnobbing with celebrities in Hollywood and gambling in Vegas. He had a girlfriend during this time who claimed that Billy would get violent with her and that he also told her he killed Michael and another man named Duan. Billy was diagnosed with cancer in 2012 and passed away in 2014, and I believe it was when he was living at his sister's property. Right. There is just so much about Billy's mind in particular and 
dissociative identity disorder in general that we just don't understand. Many people hold harsh judgments towards Billy about the way they feel he capitalized on his crimes and his celebrity status. And, you know, this is something I think that happens too often in our society, where society makes someone famous, like in Billy's case, by their interest in his diagnosis and trial and demanding so much media coverage. Um, And then they get upset when the person then enjoys and reaps the benefits of being famous. Um, So, sure, Billy probably did exaggerate some things for attention. He probably did have an inflated ego and took advantage of opportunities to use his celebrity status to make money or win favors. But who wouldn't, really? It's not so different than most people. And, you know, maybe Billy would still have been a criminal, rapist, con man, and painter, even if he hadn't been the victim of trauma and developed DID. But we'll never know. I I don't blame Billy for what he did as far as using what he had to make a living, which was at some point kind of being a celebrity. Um, it's more the frustration of like the system that allows it to happen as a lot of times the system is more frustrating. I mean, not more evil, I guess, than the killers and people we talk about, but frustrating. And it's, but it just goes back to, I feel like everything just goes back to money and that's just kind of how it is. So I don't know. This is like a really interesting, sad case. And I don't know if Billy ever got, who knows if he ever got fully fused when they released him or not. I, I, it, I'm kind of curious to see how his, how his life went when he got out, if he refrained from doing other terrible things, if he was able to live peacefully or if he was constantly fragmenting. I don't know. Yeah. You know what I kind of read in like finishing the end of that book and the documentary and just some other basic research, you know, it sounds like, you know, fused, quote unquote, fused Mm -hmm. Billy after the hospitals, um, you know, still had problems with alcohol and Mm -hmm. and drugs. Um, you know, so he still struggled with that addiction. Um, some people did sort of think of him as or view him as kind of like narcissistic or self-centered and, um, you know, lacking empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't think his life was easy and it wasn't perfect and mm-hmm. he wasn't perfect. Um, you know, those those parts of him that did the bad things were still parts of him Mm -hmm. that existed after the fusion yeah and if you know he he probably had one or more personalities that were narcissistic he probably had one or more personalities that were histrionic Mm -hmm. you know and then he probably had some that were very very compassionate and sympathetic and empathetic it's just it's a it's a I don't even know how to describe it it was a fascinating case um I'm curious if had not a book been written about him, like in the way that it was, you know, while Mm -hmm. he was still in a mental institution, if there would be 23 personalities, if, if, because what they kind of alluded to in the documentary is that there are a lot of 
Um, and I and I know this to be true, that the, that a patient sometimes wants to make their therapist happy, you know. And if that therapist is digging and digging and digging for more personalities, you know, Billy might have obliged. And even if um, he wasn't consciously doing it, oh yeah, there is. Here comes someone else. Here is an undesirable that you know we put away that has been here this whole time when maybe it wasn't. I don't know. That kind of stuff um, is. We're never going to know, but that stuff kind of interests me. Right. And I mean, the only one who knows what was happening in Billy's head is maybe the teacher. Yeah. I'm like, (laughs) it's not going to be Billy. (laughs) Right. Have you Mm -hmm. noticed that as a therapist that you do have some clients that want to please you and you can tell that maybe they're, I don't know, saying things to get your approval or what they think is your approval? You- yes, but typically in like the other direction. I'd oh, say like they're trying to shock you. No, like they're trying to um say that they're getting better when they're not. Oh. As opposed to like because they- having more symptoms uh-huh. and things like that. Because they want you to be proud of the progress they're making. Right. They don't want to let me down. Uh-huh. They don't wanna or Admit that they're not using the skills that they're, you know, supposed to be practicing and things like that. Or, you know, sometimes therapy doesn't work for everyone. That is true. So, yeah, yeah, that that's, you know, I, I don't know that I do that with my therapist, but sometimes I could see myself, you know, saying something that I think that will make, like, please them. Even though my therapist is pretty deadpan, I can't always tell, <laughs> like, if mm-hmm. they care or not. But I think it's just part of being human is you want approval. Absolutely. And I'm sure Billy wanted approval, especially since he couldn't remember doing so many horrible things. So if he could do something good, it probably made him feel better about himself. So, yeah. Probably. Anyways, well, that is Billy. And I think next week we're taking off because it is Memorial Day weekend and I am behind on my reading. But if you want to give a clue for our next case that you selected, now is the time. Oh, let's see. I'd say the next case we're going to do, so I kind of found this one at random, but um, I guess I'll just say that this killer was also a best-selling author. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, Courtney. Well, shoot, I forgot to prepare. What do we do if we run into someone who shifts personality six times in the first hour we meet them? Go nuts. Uh-huh. Go home. And go to therapy. There you go. Okay, we'll see you next, next Tuesday. All right, bye. Bye. Bye.